everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, the show where we take some confusing scientific topic and make it digestible enough for anyone to understand. Science in theory, but comedy in practice. Last week we took a look at the human senses, this week we will plan to expand our horizons, the senses that animals may possess and just some more, I guess, recapping we didn't get to last week. If you would like to, we'd much appreciate a follow on Twitter, Info Entropy Pod, Instagram, Information Entropy Pod, and whatever platform you're currently listening to the podcast on, really. And if you're there, why not give us a rating or a like or something like that, because it massively helps us out. I'm Tom Jenks, and joining me as usual is Mitchell Gatting. How are you, my friend? I'm doing all right. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Good, good. I'm glad. New tagline. Like it. Snappy. Witty. It's good. We'll see. We'll we'll see how it pans out. I, I do feel like most of our explaining comes down to comedy at some point, mm-hmm. for better or worse. <laughs> um, yeah, for worse. Definitely for worse. Definitely for worse. Definitely. Definitely for the best. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, why don't we hop straight into it then? I'm sure we'll tangent further down the line. Yeah. I just want to Are say for all the, all the listeners, Tom is currently trying to speed run recording the podcast because he's sat in 32 degrees heat and he can't have the air conditioning on because he's recording the podcast <laughs> and his mic's too sensitive. <laughs> uh, I started sweating already. <laughs> so that's fun. Oh, I'm in, a, I'm in a, I think, third week in a row, different location again, different house again. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope the acoustics play out okay. And if not... I'll fix it in post, and hopefully it doesn't make a difference to you guys listening at home. Turn off the reverb in post. I'm sure that's doable. I'm sure you, you got the skills. You got the skills. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Just noise cancellation. Thank you, Audacity, the saviour. Yeah. One of the... I can't believe it's free and so useful and used by so many. I use it for my, my PhD stuff as well. It's great. Ah, for the, the sound of the dolphins. For the sounds of the dolphins. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Flick between uh, Audacity and Adobe. And uh, yeah. Oh, which, which Adobe things do you use? Uh, Adobe Audition. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking One of the older versions, because uh, the license from our university is from it's <laughs> Adobe Audition 2. <laughs> 2. <laughs> so the, the license is an older one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Did someone no, just throw a spoon in the background there? Um, yeah, so the new place I'm in is attached to someone else's house. Okay. <laughs> I've got my own apartment now. I'm not just stuck in a hotel room. Um, and it appears that they've just started cooking. So. <laughs> oh, no. It's uh, unfortunate timing, but we're here. So if there are spoons <laughs> being thrown around, then just uh, take that I for just comedic effect. Like, super high energy, rigorous Italian cooking going on next door. Oh, yeah. Pasta comes through like a hatch. I just imagine pasta being thrown. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. You can hear it just thud against the wall. <laughs> or when they ah, do like the spaghetti test to see if it's cooked and they throw a bit yeah, exactly. against the wall to see if it sticks. We we don't have windows here. You know, like the window pane test you do when you're making pasta for pizza? Pasta for pizza? Ah, right. Yeah. So <laughs> in Italy, right? Yeah. You know, like in English language, we have dough. Yeah. For bread, for pizza. Uh, pa- it's just pasta here for everything. Pasta is like the pre-cooked thing okay. of the thing you eat. So instead of bread dough, you have the pasta for the bread that then you cook and it turns into bread. The same for pizza. You have the pizza pasta that you then cook and it, you know, it's comes the pizza bread anyway i'm sure some <laughs> italians have become very offended by my explanation of that so why don't we hop on to the news the news yeah um what have you got for us this week so being quite interested in uh i went on the side at all like a, few, a couple of months ago for my birthday if anyone's trying to dox me um and they said about how I, I, I knew i knew this anyway but they brought it to mind and i thought it was quite interesting about the origins of apples and the ancestor of the apple, I think it was like, is it Kazakhstan? Uh, it's probably- I don't know, mate, this is your news. No, yeah, but this, is, <laughs> this isn't my news. It's related to the, oh, okay. the origins of something. But apples come from one place. Let me get the right, the right place. Uh, yes, the 
Tian Shan Mountains in Kazakhstan is where the first wild apples or what um, genetically modified evolved into was what they they changed it's into. It's like the, the original strain. Yeah, and then all apples that have come from since came from this one place. Okay. Well, my news isn't about apples, but about chickens and where chickens came from. Right. So, and it, it turns out, if <laughs> some scientists have found, that, you know, you have chicken and rice and it always goes together with all, every single dish. Yeah. But it also find, turns out that that actually be, may be where it came from. So in two new studies, scientists laid out potential stories of the chicken's humble origins. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was a pun. and I'm not sure if I want to use the pun. Oh, you've laid it out now. Yeah. Okay. It was it, this poultry tail. Oh wow! <laughs> begins surprisingly. Oh wow! It recently in rice fields planted in Southeast Asia uh, from farmers around three thousand five hundred years ago, and this comes from zoo archaeologists Joris Peters and his colleagues' uh, report. And then from the Southeast Asia, it was then transported westwards, but not as food but as like exotic and culturally revered creatures, like look at this weird looking thing that at that time, the poos out eggs. Um, the chicken, right? Yeah, the chicken. Okay. What, what else was that? <laughs> well, no, what I just got rice? confused. Like, I, for some reason, I thought that the chicken and rice were being transported together as a well, they, weird they and wonderful done. thing. They would have done. Yeah. It was the time that things were being transported. So they've, they've sort of said like, because it's a dish that we... We all know, and like rice and chicken is like staple for a lot of things, especially like weight loss diet. Uh, rice and chicken is like something that you eat, but it turns out like it, they came across together, and it's one of the reasons why it's like rice and chicken is so rooted in culture. Um, oh, okay, well, then, it makes sense, they, they do go well together, yeah. And then they think that cereal cultivation then acted as the catalyst for chicken domestic, yeah, domestication because. That goes hand in hand in being able to breed them and feed them and let them go wild and that kind of stuff. Oh, that's interesting. Mm, yeah. So they believe that domesticated fowl arrived in Mediterranean Europe around 2,800 years ago. Cardiff that's University. Mad. This is from the University in Wales uh, for our international audience. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the amount of. Uh... Even today, it happened again. I was like, "Oh, where are you from? From England? Oh, the southwest. Oh, Wales. No, <laughs> yeah, Wales is not in the no, southwest. It's a slightly different place. Wales is the little nub on the east of England. No, west of England. Apologies. Yeah, we got there. Yeah, yeah. I have to draw a very crude map and be like, "Okay, this box here is a Wales." <laughs> yeah, if you imagine a triangle, we are the bottom left of the triangle in South. Where we came from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, I thought it's always interesting where food originally comes from because me medieval and vikings and people invading other people and bringing across food and stuff it's always really just to be like oh actually the carrots were originally purple and they came from this place and we've just selectively bred them to be orange yeah oh, that's madness isn't yeah. it and the thing if you saw orange carrots in a shop now you'd be like those look artificial and disgusting but not the case. You, you just said if we see orange carrots in the shop, they would be artificial. Did I? I I'm sorry. <laughs> now, obviously, the heat is getting to me. Oh, yeah. The Red Bull's not kicked in. <laughs> uh, I meant purple. Sorry. To be honest, they're, there's, they're calling them like wonky, wonky, especially in the, in the UK, they're calling them like wonky foods. And I always think it's quite insulting because they're just normal foods that people just don't fancy because they always want like the perfect food. So we can yeah. like shop at Aldi. I'm sure it was Aldi. It could be Aldi a little. And it's just like, yeah, wonky blueberries. I'm looking at them like, they're just blueberries. Like, what are you chatting? What's going on? What's uh, going on? There? It's like the the undesirable. Yeah. So in terms of looks, they've put it's not their, a straight carrot. They've put their it's carrots. Like a knobbly yeah. One. They put their carrots through their machine that scans them and sees if they're normal. They've used that Japanese <laughs> AI algorithm to oh, yeah. to sort of analyze them. And they've gone, oh, this isn't straight enough to the, the cast off pile. Which I'm not really, you know, not complaining about. They're cheaper for some <laughs> weird that reason. It's odd, isn't it? Yeah. It, that is so odd. Like, Especially yeah. this day and age, you know, people finances are running thin. 
you know it's it's not a good maybe time. it's just an excuse maybe it's like oh like a, big it's like a lemon market isn't it it's like just an excuse just to have a cheaper thing for people or the opposite it's you the, have those cheaper and you have the normal ones yeah it's, the, more it's, expensive it's, to, and psych, it's to psychologically anchor people to buy mass buy so they only have a small box of the expensive one but have loads of the wonky ones and people think Oh, we're getting, getting the really straight good... carrots out because it's Sunday dinner. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, sa- <laughs> I'm saying, like, the wonky ones are actually the normal ones. And to try and make yeah. them think they're getting a good deal so they'll come back to the shop, they're... Maybe. Yeah. That's it. They do that. <laughs> Bloody capitalism. Like, yeah, the supermarkets, <laughs> nefarious psychological minefields. It is. Maybe we should do an episode on that one day because it is staggering. A documentary, I'm pretty sure that someone did, where they walked in and then just went and then just like went through all the sort of like attacks that you get, subconscious yeah. things that are thrown at you by walking down the high street. That's madness. Yeah. Absolutely mad. That, that, I don't know why, but your story at the beginning reminded me of a story I've been meaning to mention for months on a podcast <laughs> okay. and we haven't been doing this show for months yet. Yeah. It must be a good six months, actually. And it's just a random post I came across on Imager. And it basically, they someone did an experiment where they took some wild foxes, right? Mm-hmm. And to see how many generations it would take to produce lots of different breeds like we have in dogs, like to domesticate them and get long tails or nicer fur or shorter legs or these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take long at all. Like one person was able to do it in their lifetime. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so what I'll do is, instead of just doing that off the cuff, is I'll leave you all hanging. Okay. And I'll look at that for next week. And that'll be my my news for next week, maybe. And I realize I keep saying this, never coming back to it in the following weeks and only remembering when I'm listening to the episodes again. Um, so apologies for that. Mm-hmm. So quick James Webb Space Telescope update. Oh, yeah. Don't have any specific news, but they have released a date okay 12th of july the telescope will reveal the first true images and not the ones that i mean like from calibration or test images that we've seen so far actual fully fledged working images that are designed and specifically curated to kind of show off the web's capabilities so july 12th pack it in your calendar that is if i look we when this comes out, it'll be the twenty fourth. So it'll be one, two, two and a half weeks from when you're hearing this. <laughs> Rise in their calendar. Yes, get ready for that. We'll speak about it anyway. I'm sure we'll put posts up because we're all yeah. about that jazz. I wonder if they'll do like um, merch. Like, can, can you buy a really high res image of it? So I would think about it. Ah, oh, okay. I was gonna say. I think they already. There's definitely like. It would be a missed opportunity if not. They're already doing NASA merch, ESA merch. Um, I'd be surprised if there wasn't Hubble merch, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, there is. At least yeah. key rings or something. Yeah. So, yeah. I think definitely. There's definitely sticker packs out there that I've seen. Uh, I don't want a sticker, mate. I want like a three meter by two meter poster. A high rent, oh, like there'll definitely be posters. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got the Hubble book. It's got all the like top Hubble pictures in, which is very nice. cool. Yeah, very nice. Anyway, people don't want to hear about that. <laughs> My other piece of news yeah. is very in line with today's topic, and it's that with enough training, most humans can learn to echolocate in as few as ten weeks. Right. Okay. To what? So, to re- what extent? Here we go. Researchers have been able to part teach participants how to navigate obstacles and recognize the size and orientation of objects using the rebounding calls of their clicks. Apologies for the noise in the background. The experiment, the results of which were published in 2021, involved 12 participants who, who'd been diagnosed as legally blind during their childhood and 14 sighted people who were, of course, blindfolded during the test. And over the course of 20 training sessions, which are two to three hours long, researchers found that blind and sighted participants, both old and young, all improved considerably at clicked-based echolocation. And basically, at the end of it, they stuck them in a maze they hadn't been in before and asked them to navigate it whilst blinded. 
and the collisions with the wall were significantly fewer than at the start of the program. Right, okay. But were they allowed just because my way of navigating through through a maze is just put my hand on the wall? No, no, no. They were they were Not they, no to. hands out, just clicking. Okay. That'd be interesting. I just I mm. And it, it definitely is possible. If you get the right click, if you can figure out how to get a high energy click coming out of your mouth. Is it was uh, with the click with their mouth or could it just be their like their their hands? Could they like snap their fingers? No, it'd be much better with you. They all did it with their, their mouth, with their tongues. Clicking off the inside of the roof of their mouth. Okay. And that would work a lot better because your head is then already aligned with the direction of the sound. I see, yeah. Be a bit more consistent, I think. So, yeah. Mm, interesting. If you, uh, if you want, you're out there, you're listening, maybe you can just teach yourself to echolocate in 10 weeks. What are you finding, mate? Uh, I've got two screens in front of me. Nice. Well, you're, you're fantastic stuff. Yeah. You're a natural. Yeah, I'm really good at this. <laughs> uh, any other news? No, no, that's the same. <laughs> no, cool. Um, classic fashion. I forgot to do any facts. Oh, well, I've come ready, prepared. And one that I just found really weird... And don't really believe it, but apparently it's true. So we're gonna we're gonna steam ahead. You ready for this this animal fact? I am ready. So a scallop, you know, a scallop, bit clammy yeah, yeah. in nature. Bit clammy. Uh, yeah, has a hundred eyes around the edge of its shell. Yeah, and those eyes, yeah, uh, they do. Are thought to use to be to detect shadows of predators such as starfish, and they jettison away when they release water yeah it's quite funny watching a clam swim yeah I think just because you don't expect a shell does to swim does it swim or does it propel itself well propulsion is a form of swimming it's, is it locomotion through water no? so if, jet propulsion if you have, so like, yeah, a, jet, most jet squids isn't, isn't, isn't swimming though is it so you don't think squids swim no because they, they like hmm I see, I see what you're saying but can you see, you what, you can see what I'm because saying I do see what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, a squid's main propulsion is jet. Like, and then, okay, it has the, its flaps, which it moves along. Uh, but if you're thinking, like, a Humboldt squid, for example, so, jet propulsion. Um, propelling oneself through water using limbs. So if it was an internal jet propulsion of water being shot out, that's not swimming. Okay. Locomotion, then. All right. I, I, I secede my position. Well, that may be a very human-centric approach to the definition of swimming. Because it's not like we can... Well, we can't. <laughs> to squirt jets out. <laughs> <laughs> we can, but we don't get much propulsion from it. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. I know. See, that's I never thought I mean, of do you, swimming. Do you think of a tail as a limb on a fish or like a dolphin? Is that a limb? Uh, yeah, but if they use the tail to propel themselves, that's swimming because they're using a limb. I mean, like, if yeah, you had... Yeah, exactly. That's my point. I don't really class a tail as a limb in my head. Is it not? But... For, like... I don't know. Monkeys? Is it not a limb? But monkeys don't have... No. It's an appendage. Yeah. What's the definition of but a limb? I wouldn't limb? say it's a limb. Oh, here we go. Down the rabbit hole, <laughs> yeah. live on air. An, Define. an arm or a leg of a person or four-legged animal or a bird's wing. So a, a tail so isn't a, a bird's limb. wing. A bird's, See, no, I wouldn't have thought so. A bird's wing is a limb, but a tail is not. Well, that makes sense because, like, a human arm and a bird's wing yeah. are quite homologous in terms of bone structure. Maybe if you if you're reaching hard, whereas a tail is very different. Okay. It doesn't, it's a balancing appendage, right? Yeah, it's, not a locomotive so one. For 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 li- to be limb, I think it has to have like joints and not just vertebrae. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the difference between the two. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. So I would say the tail of a fish is not. A limb, 
Also, because it depends what fish you're looking at, and there's four types of locomotor swimming, depending how much of their body they move. And then you can add in like jet propulsion on top of that. So maybe swimming is, anyway, we're going, I'm going way too far down this. Yes. Clams move. <laughs> they, they move themselves. Uh, tear in zoology, prolongation of the backbone, beyond the trunk of the body, or any slender projection resembling such structure is defined as a tail. The tail of a vertebrate is composed of flesh and bone, but contains no viscera. In fishes and many larval amphibians, the tail is a major importance in locomotion. But in most land-dwelling quadrupeds, it's not important locomotory device, uh, such as crocodiles, otters, and whales, but can be used for balance in more arboreal animals, such as like squirrels, when leaping. Uh, and in spider monkeys and chameleons, it, can, it is a prehensile or fifth limb for increased mobility and stability. Okay. Yeah. Well, like in all biology, then there is no fixed rule. No, there's, there's a lot because then it goes on to the like others have adapted it for defensive, like porcupine, signaling, dogs, warning, rattlesnakes, and hunting, such as scorpions or alligators. Imagine getting hit in the face with an alligator tail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're having your neck snapped and that sort of yeah. whippage going on. That's nasty. Pop out. Okay, well, continuing on with the facts. That was, that was a good fact. It led to uh, some good... That was a good fact. Yeah, I told you we'd be right to tangenting. Yeah. Um, the hawk buteo. The hawk potato. Buteo. B-U-T-E-O. Buteo. It's a type, type of hawk. B-U-T-E-O. E-O. Yeah. Okay. T-O. Has one million photoreceptors in its retina per square millimeter. Damn, I thought you were going to say one million followers then. No, one million photoreceptors <laughs> per square millimetre in its retina, which is many. What's that compared to us? I, I, I imagine you're saying it because it's impressive, but I'm unsure of the the comparison. Let me just do some Googling here. Set you on, sorry, set you on the Google no, no, mission no. here. Oh, 1094. Oh, right. Quite a bit more than us, then. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like... Many, many. It's always really funny to me, and it always weirds me out doing the senses, right? Because we sit here, and I'm like, I'm looking at these things, and I, my vision, okay, it's probably not 2020, but I can see, mm. okay, you know? And like, okay, that's kind of as real as the world gets. Yeah, but imagine but if you could see more. it's not. Yeah, exactly. Imagine if you were a mantis shrimp, and you could see... Exactly. More. All of the stuff that we're actually just missing. We're actually just looking at a very small slice of reality. Yeah, like, so my next fact is about penguins. I promise I didn't smoke anything before this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so I, I had a look at the next fact about penguins and two things about their vision. The first one is they have a flat cornea so they can see clear underwater, unlike us. Yeah. The second one yeah. is they can also see into the ultraviolet range on the electromagnetic spectrum. Oh, okay. Which, again, helps them see through water. Because if you're looking down at water and you can see the UV, it's easy to see past the, the reflections and stuff. Um, yeah, that's why when you get the... Polarized. What are they called? Polarized. Polarized, polarized yeah. Lens, yeah. Which a lot of animals can polarize light in their own eyeballs to help with that. Like chameleons and so that kind cool. of stuff, they have yeah. polarized vision, so they can actually. So when when if you go for a walk and you're looking at a river and you're like, oh, it's so shiny, it looks so nice. If you were a chameleon and you were looking at that river, it wouldn't look bright and shiny. You would just be able to see into it. And it's Which like if you cool. if you buy some really strong polarized sunglasses and you like go to a lake in something, it's it's a weird different experience. And there's yeah, it is. I think. There's a car manufacturer that you can, even you like, it's like a Ranger or something. And when you buy it, you get sunglasses to go along with it, and it okay. makes it look like your windscreen isn't there. No. <laughs> so yeah, it was really strange, really, really strange. That's cool. I was going to say polarized sunglasses are absolutely fantastic for driving because, yeah. especially in the UK, glare off the puddles. 
I got some new lenses for my sunglasses, which are polarized, and they oh, come did in. You? Yeah. Oh, nice. They upgraded. I upgraded. Yeah, upgrading on life there. Yeah. Because I've. So, we're talking about eyesight and things. Uh, I've got something that makes my. I see like floaters a lot and some static and some flashing lights. And one of the things that makes it worse is really bright light. So I was just like, let me just invest in some really strong sunglasses that I'm just going to wear constantly. Yeah. I uh, had to invest in some sunglasses here. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, because I'm quite photosensitive. I don't have it as bad as you, but I just, my eyes just, I just start crying. Yeah. Do you know what I found? Not because I'm sad. I just start leaking. (laughs) Which um, has made it, I made it worse. Uh, What's it called? Hay fever tablets have made me more uh, photosensitive. That is unfortunate. And I only realised that we went on holiday recently and went camping. And I was like, this is, this is, it is so, like, we're in Cornwall. And I was like, this is so bright. Like, I can't open my eyes here. And I didn't take my sunglasses down. So, a bit of a silly. Oh. Yeah. Maybe, do what? Maybe that answers a few questions Mm -hmm. on on my end of things. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. I'll do an experiment over the next few days. Do it. One day I'll take it. One day I won't. Do some tests. Yeah. All right. Um, before we hop in, I know you've got some stuff like a spillover from last week. Yeah. I thought what I might do is for anyone who didn't listen, firstly, after this episode, go back and do that. It was a cracking <laughs> one. It was funny. But uh, I thought I'd just recap very quickly what a sense is. And maybe the conclusion we came to because we didn't find an exact definition, as you can expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so step in if I'm wrong, but this is uh, what, what I think. Uh, in biology and medicine, the faculty of sensory reception is the ability to convey specific types of external or internal stimuli to the brain and perceive them. I think the perception is quite important there. Sensory reception occurs through a brain process known as transduction, in which stimuli are converted to nerve impulses which are relayed to the brain. So I think we kind of came to the conclusion that senses were generally consciously triggered or they triggered the conscious part of the brain, but there is so sight, touch, smell, taste, you know, these things, but there is room for argument about the subconscious triggers as well, such as blood glucose levels, because your body has perceived that just it's not a conscious Mm -hmm. thing. So yeah, as I say, last week we went over the five traditional senses and how they work a bit. So if that tickles your fancy, give it a listen. And, uh, yeah, but it depends on who you ask, really. I think anywhere up to 29 senses is acceptable. <laughs> yeah. So between 5 and 29, take your pick. Yeah. Well, the 5 is uh, sensing organs, isn't it? It's the organs you use to sense, and then the, the, the higher amount is actual feelings. It's the... The 5 are the... Ex- are the organs you use to perceive external stimuli it doesn't include internal stimuli uh like the organs like you have your is it pituitary gland is an organ detects okay blood glucose levels right so that is an organ I'm, it's just you're not <laughs> perceiving that like my, my counter to this is so do you taste things on only on the outside of your body because taste, you taste is internal yeah, but it comes from an external source. Was my my point? Oh, okay, I see what you mean. But, gravi- but what I'm like saying is, we have comes from an external source, so that's a bit of a right. So that that's an external feeling, but it's you feel internal. Okay, true. Hmm. But yeah, I, th- I think it was just my point was there are more than five organs that detect senses. Yes, I would agree with that. What was 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 my point? Yeah, yeah. it's it's just the weird the weird classification of the. The, the list of 32 isn't just organs, but there's more than five sensing organs. So it's a bit of both. Best of both yeah. worlds. No, and it, it definitely makes sense. Like your ears are multifaceted for hearing and also like balance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So. Facet. <laughs> I turn water just on. Just facet. I turn water on with my ears. <laughs> <laughs> that's a faucet. Yep. I know that's why it's a play on, play on words, Tom. It's got a, uh, you're forcing it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> stop. Right. Moving on. Oh dear. Yeah, take it away. So it, this was kind of like a tedious link, 
uh, from senses to, to to thought and being able to visualize and think. We we've discussed this in the past, and it's come up. I came up very recently in a conversation I was having with my family <laughs> around the dinner table, and it kind of went from uh, synthasia, which is the sort Synesthesia. of synesthesia, 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 synesthesia. Oh, the synesthesia, synesthesia. I've got. Either way. There's an American English and a British English. Oh, okay. They are different. But either way, it's the, the perceptual phenomenon in which stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to an involuntary experience in a second sensory or cognitive pathway. So like numbers, you see numbers in colors, you relate certain visual things to a taste so if you look at someone, you may get a flavor of vanilla in your mouth. Like it's a weird, like a, a phenomenon, phenomenon. <laughs> a, weird, a weird thing that, that happens that some people, uh, say you, there's, there's possibly situations where you could say you suffer from it, but it's something that people have to go through their life, um, which I find quite, quite interesting for someone to be like, it's yeah, the number nine is blue. And you're like... What do you mean the number nine is blue? It's like, well, the number nine is blue. I mean, all the nines in the world are blue because it's a blue number. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's very interesting as well is it relates to this kind of internal perception of the world. Kind of what I hit on earlier, like a lot of people who have synesthesia don't realize they have it because they just presume... Everybody is the same. Everyone has that yeah. because it's not very often that you speak about what color a word is right or, or how a word tastes because in yeah there's also the like day no one else brings it up and why would you bring it yeah. up because everyone everyone feels like that in day-to-day you know? life you don't really talk about the way you experience the world you experience exactly, that in the world, yeah. but not how you perceive it which is another thing there, there's there's thoughts then it's been suggested that it develops during childhood when uh, a child is like intensively engaged with an abstract concept for the first time it happens and this this this, okay. this is a hypothesis but it's referred to as the um semantic vacuum hypothesis right uh and that like how it happens and it continues from there because i know in the studies they've done they've seen that the brains are pretty fairly you know normal but there are some connect white matter connective tissues between the sensory areas of the brain, whether it's audition and olfactory or vision and gustatory, you know, the, depending what type of synesthesia you have, which there are many different types. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the white matter connections are still there, whereas yeah. in everyone else, they've kind of, the connection's been cut between these places. Uh, okay. But maybe that having those experiences, like you said, is what causes them to not cut or reinforces a connection that shouldn't be reinforced normally. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting. Mm. Then this has led on to um, aphantasia and hyperphantasia. So aphantasia is the inability to... I say inability. is someone has... I, I would say be really not PC or dance around this because I don't want to say lack of as it's the norm but people don't have a mind's eye is aphantasia. So for the majority of people, if you say, um, don't think about a, what's the, it's a pink elephant, isn't it? Don't think about a pink elephant wearing a blue hat with an umbrella in its trunk. And then your brain uh, just creates this image in your head. Aphantasia is the name for people that can't and I say don't, that's the wrong word. Uh, don't have the ability. Unable to produce they're, they're these kind mental in pictures. The, in, these pictures in their mind's eye and the mind's eye doesn't exist for them. It just seems so, as as someone that can and can quite well, and we did a test, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we last did. Year. And as one that sort of goes more to hyperphantasia, because I've discussed with people before about how I <laughs> navigate myself. Like when I drive, if I navigate myself right. somewhere, I will fly the, the path to the place. So if I'm going to describe to you how I drive from my house to like Devon, I will yeah. drive 
in my brain through the path to oh like the- super speed yeah like yeah yeah, 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 yeah. i do that yeah yeah you're just whizzing down the the motorway and then you get to the next bit your brain remembers and yeah, yeah. and you can like it's like i can do it quite well with pretty much major cities that i've been in um either that or i imagine myself as a dot on a map <laughs> i like that one okay and then if yeah. i take a turn i'll be like oh i'm going this way now <laughs> um yeah but yeah hyper fantasy is like so um nikolai tesla was rumored to be uh hyper fantasic and could visualize like in front of him in not just in his brain, but actually project that image into his world, into his brain, into his vision, and then sort of take things apart. So his inventions, he would actually like unscrew bolts and try and work how this cog would work here. And he would do that like in his brain in front of him on the desk. Which is mad. Like imagine Tony Stark's yeah, so, uh, so, augmented reality yeah, thing, yes, but yes, he's yes, doing yes. that just in his brain. In his brain, yeah. And that's why he was like so so good at what he did and being able to dissect things and build things. Yeah. Really cool. Which then led us onto another topic of conversation, which I think is quite interesting. We've talked about this before. Is do you think that because along with not being able to visual view things in the head, there are people that don't have internal monologues. I don't know what the name for it is, but there are some people in the world that don't have an internal voice. I'm not saying they don't have like a moral compass or anything, but like doing lists and things in their head or talking through or working through a subject or something, they don't have an internal voice. Right. And that I think is weirder for me than not being able to visualize things. Yeah, that's odd. It's an odd thing to think about. Sorry. <laughs> if, you, if you don't have it, you're not odd if you don't have it. Yeah. Um, I saw a, a funny post the other day is uh someone's friend went to a therapist because she was hearing voices in her head turns out it was just her thoughts and oh, she thought she was realize. the only one in the world who was having thoughts Brilliant. like an internal monologue yeah um but I, weirdly i remember having something similar to that like thinking i have a very active internal monologue yeah. and maybe it means i'm going crazy um but i have a very active internal monologue and I know that runs in my family, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But I do remember growing up going, okay, is this a normal amount of voices to be having in my head? You know, because you don't know. It's so no. hard to speak about that with someone else and understand their perspective, mm. what voices are, in a sense, in your head. And I guess you just have to learn to distinguish your own from others. Yeah. But it does raise a good point. Like, how do these people who don't have an internal monologue come up with thoughts do they just kind of apparate because i speak i talk it out i have to have a full-on conversation with myself sometimes yeah to understand how i'm going to get this shitty piece of code to work (laughs) for example (laughs) yes um like so yeah it's a very and i'm sure it doesn't hold them back as much as we think it does because that's normal for them right Mm. maybe they just kind of ideas appear in their head and they can get get rid of them, like, as we can. It's just there's no internal monologue there. Because I have found, and sorry for rambling, but learning a new language, right, mm-hmm. has revealed to me that more than I th- realized before, that the brain doesn't work in a language. It works in abstract thoughts that you can't materialize. Mm-hmm. And language helps us do that, even in our own heads. So if I've had a conversation in Italian or English, I don't think about the language I had it in. I just think about the abstract concept of that material. And then I can speak about it in either language. Mm -hmm. So I kind of understand in that sense how not having an internal monologue may not be so detrimental. Yeah, yeah. Like these people aren't... I say they pretty struggle with some things, but they're not like struggling in life on a day-to-day yeah for sure i'm sure they love lists <laughs> like so that's that's yeah. the thing write that down but going going off this going back to the whole internal thing the next the next step in this conversation that we had was does that mean that people's internal monologues 
are at different speeds. And what does that mean? Does that mean like because uh, Minecraft and Grace, she does a lot of reading in her in her work. It's like copywriting and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so every day she is reading and has to read through a lot of things quickly. So has she trained her internal thought to be quicker over time compared to like someone else? Not me. I read pretty quickly. Um, have terrible habit. Yeah. A terrible habit from childhood trying to get through a lot of books quickly. Um, but I wonder whether being able to read quickly and material uh, like understand the information is the same as training your internal monologue though. What do you mean? Are you saying that like, I don't actually read these books? I'm just skim reading everything. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> saying you can have the ability to read quickly and understand, right? Mm -hmm. But you're saying because Grace does that, maybe she has a faster internal monologue. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, does reading quickly over a long period of time, years, actually affect the speed of your internal monologue? Why would that be the case? Interesting. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Because it's your brain processing speed, right? But That's what I said. It's I only, was like, is your CPU it's speed only, quicker than mine? <laughs> yeah, it's only the uptake of information. It's not necessarily the processing of, or it's the transfer of information. Maybe instead of processing speed, it just has incredible short-term memory in terms of taking it in in one phrase and spitting it out in another, mm. for example. It's just whether it affects internal monologue, monologue speed. I remember looking at a study about this. I can't remember the conclusion, unfortunately. But I think like your internal monologue speed is obviously much quicker than like I can have you can have a full conversation oh, yeah, no, much quicker than you can outside. <laughs> I, I referenced your this head, no. during the conversation. I was like, I have a pretty slow cadence when I speak. I, I can't like if I'm if I'm nervous I'm on the spot I can like I'm pretty much a rapper but day to day I have like quite a low mumbling cadence yeah but in my head I'm like Eminem like I'm just like <laughs> rattling through things Hi like yeah. the amount of hypothetical situations that I can analyze <laughs> sorry overanalyze oh, yeah. in a second <laughs> I was gonna say the uh, the brain of an anxious person is something to behold. Mm -hmm. Not that you're necessarily anxious, but uh, I remember in times of being anxious, the amount of scenarios you're absolutely correct that you can whiz through in, in trying to make a decision. So yeah, I, I do wonder, but I think it changes depending on your situation. Let's say I am anxious, for example, right? Um, and I'm overthinking the different possible scenarios that are in front of me and the decision I have to make my internal processing speed is going to be a lot quicker than if I'm reading a book, maybe mm -hmm. leisurely or doing another task that does, isn't quite as high demand watching a YouTube video, something quite passive. So and I think the person who did the study related that to our perception of time. Okay. Yeah. So if you're anxious, you're overanalyzing things. Um, your brain's working harder. It's taking up more memories. And for some people, that makes it seem longer. For some people, your brain kind of cuts out, not recording, but like that's not the most important thing. So you'll skip over time periods. Um, and then on the other end, if you're watching a YouTube video or you're driving the same route home, which you've mentioned before is a very dangerous way to drive, mm -hmm. um, your brain would just kind of cut out. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I got home, but I don't remember the journey. Yeah. They yeah, that's not a good thing. No, not not a good thing. Not a good it thing it does happen. Um, to, sorry to so yeah, <laughs> but yeah. What what was your what off. was your thought on this? Sorry, split off for this. Uh, going even further to do with like your brain skipping over things. Yeah, if you get too drunk and we're like, oh, it's blackout drunk. I'm struggling to remember. Right, you're not you're not struggling to remember when you get so drunk. Your brain is incapable of creating new memories. <laughs> That is why you yeah, cannot it's, remember. It's scary. It's like it's not like you can't remember. It's your brain stopped recording. Yeah, for you, that doesn't exist ever. No matter how yeah. hard you'll try to remember, it doesn't exist in your brain. 
<laughs> maybe you'll get flashes here and there. And that's why people get flashes, but not the whole night. It's because they went in and out of phases where their brain had the power to record yeah. and didn't. Yeah, it's scary stuff, isn't mm-hmm. it? When you think about it like that. Yeah, the UK is such a weird <laughs> alcohol culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less now, though, I think. I think our generation yeah. is generally drink less. Okay. Like there's, there's definitely not when we were younger though. Oh no, everybody goes through that phase. I think for like Americans, it's the twenty-one, like spring break, uh, yeah. thing. But for people, especially people that lived down in Devon and had nothing else to do, we got that oh, out yeah. of our, you know, out of our system by fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I think I think I was a slightly late bloomer on that. Yeah, sixteen to eighteen. Then yeah. university was a. That was a strong four years. Yeah. Someone, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Quick apologies. Someone's just turned the radio on through this very thin wall that they were making pasta through at the top of the show. So if that's coming through, I do apologize. <laughs> I, I, I can't hear it. So I think you're good. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think do different people have different processing speed? This is something I want to answer now. So I'm going to Google. Do people... He's going to Google it have, right now. <laughs> right now, different brain speeds. What I want is like an explain like I'm five yeah, Reddit yeah, yeah. type thing. <laughs> Brains of smarter people do have bigger and faster neurons. Yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. So they found that cells from people with higher IQ have longer and more complex dendrites and faster action potentials. Mm-hmm. So if... We spoke a bit about this last week, actually. A neuron is a brain cell, and it's, like, got a clump at one end and a really long, thin bit, and that connects to the clump of the other end. Yeah. The dendrites is not the cell body, but, like, the long, spindly bits coming off the, yeah, the clump. Yeah, yeah, Like the roots. If, um, you imagine, if you imagine a tree, yeah. it's, like, the roots that, like, spin off of it. Exactly. And action potentials is basically an impulse traveling up the neuron, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's just how, what they call it. It's action potentials. Um, so basically, they're saying people with higher IQ have more complex connections and information f- travels faster through their brain. Okay. Can you train that, though? That's what I'm thinking. So that's related to IQ, and it depends if you can train IQ, which I think you could because IQ is not a massively great intelligence mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. metric. But it depends. I think you'd have to have like an, obviously there is just some genetic things where you're born and you're, you know, like Nick Tesla, for example, I could never train to have the brain Tesla or Einstein had. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's possible. No, 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 no. But within a certain boundary, there's like, okay, this is what you're born with and you could probably increase the, your potential, let's say, or if you do nothing, then it may even decrease or. So, yeah, I imagine there's a scope. Yeah. But I, I, I also don't know. It, it's like saying, like, um, is there, a, like, a amount of hobbies you can do or things you, you can become good at? Is there a cap on... This is nothing to do with... I realise now, we're talking about uh, thoughts and brain capacities and IQ, but is there a maximum that your brain can do? Is there a cap on your intelligence or can you train past it? I think that would depend entirely. And I'm going to give a very biological answer here okay, yeah. on how are you defining intelligence? Oh, boo, boo to you. Boo to you. And I your, know boo to me. Your, your biology. <laughs> I, I know, but like, we really don't know what we mean. Even, literally in scientific literature, we don't know what okay, intelligence is. Okay, let me give right, a real world example then. Like, say that I started learning math, right? Yeah. And I just continued to learn math. Is there a cap on how good I can get at math? Surely there is. Surely there's like my brain can only become so good at it. Oh, oh what other, know, otherwise there'll be loads of really good mathematicians because there's a lot of people that have spent a lot of their life dedicated to the pursuit of one subject. True. 
But also, I think it depends how much time you have, right? So if you're wealthier and that was your pursuit, you probably have more time to, to dedicate to practicing that. Also, maths is quite a large field. So when people specialize, they really specialize to a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so even within maths, you can compare apples to oranges accidentally. That's that. I in hate that it. sense. When people say you can't compare apples and oranges, pet peeve of mine. I know, I know. Um, we haven't introduced people on this podcast to, to that yet. Uh, so. Yeah. Okay, well, do you want to go um, into so animal you- senses? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if there's much point now with 10 minutes oh, to go. Dear. Well, we'll just write this one off as senses slash mind, and then maybe we can come, come back, back to, to animal senses, senses next week. That's fair, that's fair. Um, so, yeah, conclusion. People probably do have different speeds. I think, Yeah. depending, obviously, how your brain's wired, you'll probably have a better disposition to maths or something, right? But, but is that you probably could nurture, keep improving... Though? The, That's this, why I said uh, disposition. I think it ah, starts as nature, okay. but ch- changes to nurture. Definitely. Right, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people, musicians, artists, who always say, "Ah, oh, there isn't." You're not born with talent. You know, it's a skill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and to be like, "Ah, oh, you, you, you're blessed," is to detract from. It's like people thanking God when they've had really good surgery. I was like. I don't know. I think you should probably be thanking the doctor who spent <laughs> like 20 years Ten hours of their, inside your brain. their life like training yeah. for this one moment to, to help you. So, yeah. No, exactly. And I think when we look at artistic things like music and just straight up art, mm-hmm. we view it differently to surgery, which is a very good example, which is very intricate very complicated even an art form of some kind i'm sure to put things back properly and make it look nice and you know but one of them we view as a skill and one of them we view as a talent yeah but why why is that you you're not just naturally born gifted at surgery Mm -hmm. maybe we are but we just don't recognize it in the same way yeah so yeah very very interesting so yeah, I don't know. I imagine people do have different brain processing speeds, but it'd be hard to explain it because you only ever get to experience your own. Yeah. So I, I've actually done, I did some research in the past, not like full on scientific research, but like some, some drawing some information together on intelligence for a possible podcast. So just getting this back up. But it's believed to be half and half. Okay. Um... And this estimate of 50% reflects uh, in the result of twin adoption and DNA studies of intelligence. Of what they're oh, like okay, analytical yes. abilities, where they got two twins and then did the same test. And they had a look twins. at um, yeah. biological parents that raised adopted children, and then biological parents that raised their biological children, and had like to, to see if they had the same sort of intelligence. Yeah. Okay, but I imagine that's very dependent on the parent rather than the uh, the biological or not yeah. par- like relationship between the parents and children, mm-hmm. unless there was some kind of trauma and separation. Yeah, that is true. Uh, and the tests themselves became a big subject matter for a lot of um, controversy because oh yeah, it was certainly. it was to do with. Uh, racist agendas to advance the racist agendas they thought the scientists that were doing it were trying to perpetuate this idea that um black black people weren't as intellectually advanced as white people that kind of stuff um and didn't look into some of like the the societal reasons that that may be the case and there's there's a whole other because that's that's there's a lot more going on in there than just let's look at the genetics (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure which was why it just yeah it got blown out of the water really that oh, which makes sense yeah i mean uh flawed science is flawed science those twins are just very often more than not which is kind of weird to think about but at the same time not uh twins are very often sought after in scientific studies yeah so if you're a twin and you want some easy money you can <laughs> convince your sibling to to do the same identical twin especially 
then uh, yeah. scientists are often, especially in behavioral or psychological tests, looking for twins to see how they, they diverge because it presents a very nice baseline. You know, you are identical at birth, so yeah. what's changed? <laughs> yes. What's changed and why? Um, so, yeah, very interesting. Oh, I do remember now about training intelligence. It is possible because there's someone invented, oh, what's his name? Kirchner, back in the 50s. The NBAC test. We, I think we did the NBAC test as a, te- as a, as a game. Oh, yeah. Done it? So the NBAC no, test that's, rings a bell. For people that haven't done it or played it, there's, there's websites that you can go and do it. Um, in short, the NBAC task or test uh, presents uh, it's as a sequence of stimuli one by one. So you get a number shown to you, and then you have to do, say if it's a, uh, a one, so N as in like mathematical N, you put a number there, so a one back test, is you have to say if the number that came before it is the same. Right. So if it's if you get a number that say you have one you say no and then two you would say no but then if it was one and it was a two back test you would say yes because the number two before it was the same as the one that's showing uh okay so you'd have a sequence yeah like, so a sequence comes okay. and you have to say like yes if it wasn't two numbers before it and it's trying to try and keep you and as you train with the back test which they think that it is it's, it's, it has lots of in mathematical terms and analytical terms, if you get really good at the MBAC test, it means that you can hold sequence of like large sequence of numbers, which generally okay, helps in lots of different facets of life. But yeah, I know they say two. the average, the average number of things you can hold in your brain at one time is twelve. Okay, so that's like untrained, of course. But if you're like writing down a list of numbers. Mm. Right. If you've got 12 numbers to remember, it's actually easier to separate them into six two-digit numbers. Oh, yes, yes, so yes. So instead of like one, two, three, four, you go 12, 34, 56. It makes it m- much easier to remember mm-hmm. because... So, yeah, maybe maybe I'll... Uh, another thing I'll promise to do for the show, a week of end, end back test training. Yeah. See where I end up. See if you get... Because like there's some... You can see some people online like doing like seven... And I'm just like, how? How do you remember? I could think about how, like when it comes up, then I would progress to the next one. But I know I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. I can think about a possible mechanism, but not how to put it into practice. Yeah. They use it, and this is quite nefarious. Uh, I've gone for uh, job applications before where they've used a gamified version of the MBAC tests in their application process. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I recognize this. I know what this is. Yeah. Looking oh, at you, did that help PwC, you? looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Did that help you in the process, do you think? Um, in that section, anyway. Yeah, Sucked yeah. everywhere else, but absolutely <laughs> nailed the NBAC test. Yeah. The other, the other thing that I, I practiced and got really good at is uh, for those stupid tests is the ne- what comes next in the next sequence. You're shown like three images that have like, oh, I suck at those. like here's a circle here's a square here's a triangle upside down what's the next thing and it gives you like six you have to pick for them uh and i got really good at it because i was going for an interview and i got there early uh because my flight was early so i was stuck in an airport for like 18 hours before i could check into my uh, hotel right. so i spent a good like 10 hours I found a website. <laughs> I just kept going through them because it was like a game. So I was playing like because I don't have like a Switch or a DS or a, a portable oh, game. So okay. I played I was it as say, a that's game. That's dedication. Yeah. So it, when it came up, I was the first one to finish <laughs> in the suite <laughs> and hand it in. They were like, "Oh yeah, you got like one wrong out of 50. And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> it was really good. Well done." Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't get those. My my brain is not wired for those. Maybe I, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe that's what it is. We figured it out, ladies so, yeah, and gentlemen. This, this is the thing that that what is intelligence? You've then got like emotional intelligence and street smarts. So oh yeah, yeah. Like, just to say that you're intelligent is such a negative term because it, it's, it's it's just not like right. it, even in human intelligence, exactly as you say. There's such a wide 
thing. Like, what is that? What is the spectrum yeah. of intelligence? Like, oh, yeah, no, he's really smart. It's like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. What does that mean? Like, is intelligence if that one person could do a wide range of things, like, okay? Mm. Or could he can do one, you know, is he doing maths really well at a high level, but he absolutely he's dog water at grammar? Yeah. And you know? I, I have a theory about doctors being really intelligent, but then because they've used up all their intelligence on, like, doctor smarts, <laughs> their emotional smarts are not really good. And that's why nurses are needed <laughs> because they're the actual people that are really good with people they're they are the people yeah or maybe they just become so desensitized there is that to you, you the would have that they to. have you to would, give you would have to there are I, some I things think so. like, especially during uh COVID, the pandemic yeah, have you seen that um not documentary but it's about a nurse Someone that's uh, someone that starts being a carer in a home just before COVID starts, and it's the same actor as um from Killing Eve. No, oh, I it didn't is. See that. It is from. So you say it's a documentary, but it she's an actor. No, it's not a documentary. It's, it's oh, okay. Sorry. It's like a, a recounting of what it would have been been like. Uh, and it is. Okay. It's just they made it so soon afterwards as well. It was just so sad. It was just so, so sad. It was it was kind of too soon-ish, but at the same time, it was like it was what was needed because a lot of people didn't realize what what happened and how bad it got. Yeah, working in homes. Oh yeah, no, I can it imagine. Was, it was awful. Really good, but like so sad. All right, maybe I'll check that. Is that a BBC thing? Is it? I think so. Um, oh, I'll, I'll I'll look out for it then. Okay. Well, while you Google that. I will thank everyone for listening. We're over the hour now. I realise you came for senses, and we we started at senses as well, but we we got derailed there. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what I call this episode. If it's a different title to how I introduced the show, I'm very sorry. Yeah. But uh, thank you for making it this far anyway. So. Yeah, don't forget to share this with your friends, family, co-workers, plants, pets, scientists, whatever you want, really. Uh, if you want more information, fun, science, then you can follow us on Twitter, Information Entropy Pod, Instagram, Information Entropy Pod, and of course, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're listening to this currently. Give us a follow, give us a rating. It, uh, we appreciate it massively. Have you got anything else you'd like to add on? Anything about this show uh, name? It's called Help. Okay. Uh, and it's got, it's uh, Jodie Comer, who's the person from Killing Eve, and um, Stephen Graham, who's the guy from Snatch and Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, and This Is England. He's the main actor in This Is England. And okay. he plays yeah, yeah. someone that lives in the home that she tries to help and has to ask for help for. It is so sad. There's There's a, there's a sequence in it where he's not, I think he disassociates and struggles and she's the only one left to help in the home during COVID. And she, one of the guys is struggling to breathe and then he, she, he has, she has to roll him over, but she's not strong enough. Right. So she has to try and ask for help from this person who doesn't really understand what's going on. And to be like, no, you need to wear this plastic bag and wear this mask because you could get ill yourself and doesn't really understand it. And there's a lot of uh, old people that are not really understanding it. It won two BAFTA awards. Um, like, it, would, okay. it did really well, and for good reasons. Um, so, yeah, go watch it. Okay, I'll do that. I started Peaky Blinders. Oh, uh, Peaky Fucking Blinders. <laughs> Peaky Fucking Blinders. <laughs> Peaky Blinders is so good. Does, does- yeah, I, I remember watching it and getting to, like, episode, season two and being like, oh, this is... Or I just fell out of it. But I started watching it again whilst I'm doing some coding and something like that. I'm like, oh, actually, this is banging. Yeah. Like... Yeah, it's really good. It, it does, in the later episodes, there's a good um, representation of PTSD, especially from wars and what it... Yeah, it even in the first few episodes yeah. as well. In the first season, there are some good flashbacks. Well, <laughs> I say good. Exactly what you mean, yeah. PTSD and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... We've been rambling <laughs> a lot. This has been a ramble episode. Uh, so yeah, when it gets to winter, we'll we'll be sharp and snappy. We'll be on it, <laughs> but yeah, not anymore. 
Okay. Well, yeah. Anything else to, to mention? Oh, that's it from me. Wicked stuff. So that has been us then. This has been the Information Entropy Podcast. I think I was right at the top of the show with science and theory, comedy and practice. So we'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace. Oh, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> catch you guys later.